0: I'm Carrie, and we are a paranormal chicks episode seventy-one, bringing it back old school, and we're gonna have lots of fucking fun.
1: Seventy-one fun. Oh, I was like, "What's happening?" Oh God! <laughs> so we're going back old school. And we're rhyming every time. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. Seventy-one, and we're gonna have some fun. Yeah, that does work.
0: Mm-hmm. Callie for Donna. <laughs> okay. Good job, Gary.
1: But you know what? Oh shit, what? Patreoner time. Ooh, that was obnoxious. (laughs) Sorry, guys.
0: Okay, well. Well. Tell us who it is, Donna. So is that what we're going to do now? Game show? Kelly Joe just started it, and now it's like game show. Full throttle.
1: I mean, look. (laughs) It's like, whose line is it anyway? The tallies don't matter.
0: (laughs) But they do. Mm
1: Mm-hmm. Where nobody's keeping up with them.
0: Yeah, but. We still say them. mm Mm-hmm. We have Lewis P from Pennsylvania.
1: Welcome to the Creepinati.
0: Thank you so much, Lewis.
1: Yes, you know that we appreciate everybody's support on Patreon. We could not do this without y'all. If you want to be a Patreon member, head to patreon.com slash the APC podcast. <laughs> also, though, I know we've said this before, but we totally understand that not everybody can support us financially. But there are other ways you can tell everyone, subscribe, and review.
0: Yes, the review is
1: like... muy importante.
0: I thought you were going to say moist. Ugh.
1: No, I hate that word. I know.
0: That's why I was like, wait, what? We have gotten so much feedback from our last Sinister Sightings. Oh my God. Like, y'all, that makes us feel so good. And... I know that makes the people who share with us mm-hmm. feel so good because I mean, these are like either really funny, really like intense, all like it's just emotional anyway. They're opening up and sharing that with us. So thank you so much for the feedback. Mm-hmm. And what we're trying to do like the last two, we've done ambient stories at the end, kind of just like to lighten the mood because some of these stories are scary as fuck. Mm-hmm. So if you have Ambient stories, let us know, you know, send them in to a chicks at gmail.com. Yes. And put like Ambient story because that way I know like to pull it for or, or
1: any funny story like that. It could yeah, be yeah, 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 your yeah. kid got their fucking wisdom teeth out and they oh were my like, God,
0: oh my God. Yes.
1: Yeah, so it can be anything like funny like that. We may not have one every Sinister Sightings to end on, but that's kind of the goal just because it's a good, it's a really good, like, lighthearted one to end on.
0: Yeah. So let's get into your lighthearted story, huh? This
1: one is not. Oh,
0: great. Great.
1: All right. So I am doing the story of JC Lee Dugard.
0: Oh, yeah.
1: You know it? Mm hmm. Oh, shit. Okay. She was born May 3rd, 1980. And. About six months after she was born, her family moved from Los Angeles to South Lake Tahoe, California, because they wanted a safer environment to raise her. Yeah. She lived with her mom, Terry, and her stepdad, Carl Proben, and then her little sister, Shayna, who was born in 1990. She's very close to her mom and her sister, but she wasn't very close to her stepdad. Well, when JC was 11 years old, on June 10th, 1991, her mom was gone to work and she left her house walking because she was going to go to catch the school bus to go to school. One article that I read said she was going to a water park, but literally everything else said she was going to catch the school bus.
0: That's what I heard. The school bus.
1: But it's also June 10th, so I'm like, she was in school in June? But I guess... In California, they go to school later and start after Labor Day, Mm -hmm. whereas we end in May, and they all go back to school, like, August 7th. Yeah. So, I guess that's why. So, she walks. She crosses the street, heading to the school bus, and her stepdad, Carl, is watching her go to the bus stop. And he sees this car that passed and then comes like makes a U-turn and comes back. And the car comes up to JC and rolls the window down, and... You know, she just thinks like, oh, they're going to ask for directions or something. And when they roll the window down, she gets hit with a stun gun. And then the woman that was in the passenger seat pulls her into the car. And so Carl sees all of this happen. And so he's like, shit, where are my car keys? And he can't find his car keys. So he just like jumps on a bicycle and chases the car as fast as he can, but he can't keep up because it's a fucking car. He's on a bicycle yeah, and he loses them. Mm. And so he immediately goes back inside, calls the police and the FBI gets involved. They've got search dogs, all these different law enforcement people that start looking for when she's in the car She's drifting in and out of consciousness as they are taking her wherever they're taking her. She doesn't know. And, you know, she's just thinking, like, as an 11-year-old, what do you know about kidnappings? People want ransom money. Yeah. And all she can, when she is slipping in and out of consciousness, all she can get out to actually say to them is, my parents can't afford the ransom. Mm. And so... The only thing that she really heard her abductor say is, I can't believe I got away with
0: it. Wow. Oh, wow.
1: So when Carl is talking to the police, he says that he saw two people in like a mid-sized gray car, probably a Mercury Monarch. And he said, you know, just like I said, they made a U-turn. And when they got back to her, the, the woman forced her in the car. There were some kids at the bus stop that saw it too. And the kids that were at the bus stop that saw backed up what Carl said. So of course, you know, anytime you have an abduction, you got to look at the parents. They thought that, given that he was her stepdad, maybe he had something to do with it.
0: Well, yeah. Oh, you couldn't find your car keys, so you had a bike. You know. Yeah, what I
1: but mean? but think about in that moment where it's like, I have to do something. Oh, he for doesn't sure. want to lose sight of them by. Going and finding his keys. Oh,
0: for sure. I'm just saying, like, as a cop, you know, to Mm -hmm. be like, okay, you know, I could totally see it, why they would.
1: Yeah, yeah. Oh, absolutely. So, but they also looked at her biological father, Ken Slayton, but I think he didn't even know he had a kid.
0: Gosh.
1: So he wasn't, he was like, what you mean? You know? (laughs) Wow. But Carl took. Like, I think it was, like, four different polygraphs and passed them all. Yeah. You know, he was very cooperative, you know, as was her mom. She was at work at the time. I think I said that. But, so, the dad and the stepdad were ruled out quickly.
0: Can you imagine, like, watching your daughter or stepdaughter? I mean,
1: but that's his daughter.
0: Yeah. I mean, you know, mm-hmm. they— I and mean, the dad doesn't even know.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Just because he's not her biological father Mm -hmm. doesn't mean he's not her father.
0: Exactly. But, like, watching your daughter walk to school, and he's probably, I would be like, oh, my God, she's walking slow. Like, Mm -hmm. just get there. Holy fuck. You know, like, oh, my God. You know, like, Mm -hmm. it's a normal day. You know, like, I want to go back to bed. I want to do this. I have shit to do. You know, you never think, like, she's walking to school. I'm watching her Mm -hmm. get to a fucking bus. Kids are up there. Like, what's going to happen? I know. Like, nothing is going to happen. And then she gets taken, like, in front of you. Mm -hmm. And you're helpless. Oh, God. Okay, go ahead.
1: JC was in the car with her abductors for three hours while they drove her to their home in Antioch, California. The abductors were Philip Greg Garrido and his wife, Nancy.
0: And we all know how I feel about a female... Accomplice. Mm-hmm. Well,
1: by the time they got to their house, they had already gotten rid of all of her clothes. She was wearing a little pink outfit that was her favorite. And she, the only thing she had left was this little butterfly-shaped ring hmm. that they, like, she hid from them. They didn't know she had it.
0: God bless her heart.
1: As soon as they got on the property, they threw a blanket over her head and took her into the backyard where they had like a shed storage unit kind of thing.
0: Yeah. Ugh.
1: As soon as he got her in there, he raped her.
0: Motherfucker.
1: He handcuffed her and he basically said like, "I'm going to have to handcuff you for a little while basically until I can trust Can I say basically one more time? Handcuff you for a little while until I can trust you." Um, <laughs> oh, ugh, but
0: God.
1: it but it won't hurt that bad. They're fuzzy.
0: Oh.
1: Mhm. So, she's handcuffed.
0: Well, one you know, they don't have air in this shed. Two, fuzzy fucking is hot. I
1: think they did actually have a window unit in oh, there. did they?
0: I think so. It doesn't matter. Fuzzy's hot.
1: But, so, she was handcuffed, naked to a bed. Mm. There was no bathroom, but she did have a bucket, at least. Because I just think of, you know, when I was doing this, I kept thinking about those poor girls that Ariel Castro had and how when Michelle was first captured, yeah. how she had to just use it on her bed. And she, the first year, she basically used the bathroom on herself. She yeah. had no option. So he leaves her in the shed, handcuffed, and locks the door. It's bolted shut from the outside. So she cannot get out, even if she was able to get out of the cuffs. Yeah. Yeah. And he had Doberman pinchers outside that were trained to attack her if she got out. Oh.
0: And also, I mean, think about how he's treating a human,
1: mm-hmm. a kid. An 11-year-old child. Like, what the fuck? She's not even in her teens. She's in fifth grade. Like, just, I mean, you know, you hear 11 years old, and so you know it's kind of like a prepubescent girl, you know, Girls, whatever. But when you hear fifth grade, that yeah. just to me is like, that is a fucking child. Yeah. I mean, y- you know, but I don't know. Something about hearing what grade they're in, it's yes. just like, god damn, that's a child.
0: Yes. Ugh. But it, we know what he's now done to her. I just think about like what, it, you know he didn't train those dogs humanely. Oh,
1: he was not fucking Caesar Milan, the dog whisperer. Right,
0: right. You know, and so it's like, oh, my God. Like, oh, I hate him.
1: Well, of course, you know, the police, well, I shouldn't say of course, but the police took this very seriously. You know, Carl saw it happen. They had witnesses. They knew this wasn't just like a runaway, as they say. Within basically hours, media was involved. Police were involved. They had started this huge search effort, They had multiple search parties that were on foot. They used dogs. They were, you know, in the air using helicopters and stuff. And they could find nothing. They printed tens of thousands of flyers and posters to put on the walls, mail them out, you know, all this different stuff. They had pink ribbons all throughout the town because that was her favorite color. And they just did everything they could. The family was on different news media things, you know. Over and over and over again, just to keep people thinking of J.C. and looking for her. Yeah. Her mom even founded a group called J.C.'s Hope, and that was kind of what, like, directed the volunteer effort. Like, they fundraised, did all this stuff so that they could keep searching for her. You know, buttons, sweatshirts, T-shirts, all that stuff. Four days after she went missing, they were already on America's Most Wanted.
0: Dang!
1: Mm-hmm. Well... Days turned into weeks, weeks turned into months, and they could not find JC or any evidence anywhere.
0: Mm.
1: When JC was first in her shed, her only contact was Philip. She never saw Nancy. It was just Philip, and he would come in, and he would like, you know, of course he would rape her, but he would also like hang out with her and try to tell her stories and. You know, bring her a little bit of food and, you know, that like, dude, this is not a relationship. First of all, she's 11. Mm. And second of all, you're keeping her there.
0: Right. She's not
1: your best fucking friend. He did take her a little television. It was, like, black and white, so she could see, like, infomercials and stuff like that. But, like, the news and stuff wasn't on there, so she was never able to see the search efforts that her parents were, you know, putting forth. Well, about a month or month a month or two somewhere in there after she was kidnapped philip moved her into a bigger room like next door and i guess you would say like into another shed there she was still handcuffed to the bed but he told her that demon angels let him take her so she could help him with his sexual problems because because he was able to do it to her she was saving all these other people
0: Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh, my God. Oh, my God.
1: Well, okay. So, he was on the cheapest of cheap versions of meth. He was fucking on crank. Yeah. And he would go on these, what he called, runs. Because, as you know, meth and crank hype you up. You know, you stay up for days on end. And that's what he was talking about with his runs. And so, when he was on these runs, he's up for three and four days And he made JC stay up with him. Mm. She had to do her job was to fulfill his every everything in those four days. And so, I know. And so, he would dress her up and like stuff he had seen, figure like in porn magazines and stuff like that. He even, like, okay, so he said that he could hear voices in the wall. And so, when he was on these runs, he would be like, you hear him? Like making sure she could hear him too. You know, like you got to listen for these voices. And he was like, oh, I'm chosen
0: servant of God. Like always, always. They have to be.
1: Fucking David Koresh.
0: Yes. Like all of the, oh my
1: God. And you know, when he was on these runs, he had all these ups and downs. He had times where he would be like bawling, crying, saying, I'm so sorry I did this to you. I'm a terrible person. I should let you go. But then three minutes later, he would be like, if you don't stop it, I'm going to sell you to people who will keep you in a cage. Yeah. Eventually, Philip said that his wife, Nancy, was getting jealous of all the time he's spending with JC. And so he's, this is about seven months in. Yes, seven months. And so he's like, you know, I want to introduce y'all kind of thing because she's getting <laughs> jealous. Mm-hmm. Okay, she's not your fucking mistress. She's a child. Anyway.
0: Well, and also, he's like, he puts the responsibility on the child again. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm going to introduce y'all. You know. like You
1: are making her jealous. Yes. You are doing all of this. I'm like,
0: oh, my God.
1: But he also said that his wife didn't like sex and didn't want sex. And so, he's like, you're here so I can have it. Because she doesn't want it. So, like, basically, she needs to see what this is kind of thing. Well, When Nancy met her, she brought her, which, (laughs) fucking met her. You pushed her in your car. That's not the fucking first time you've met her. Anyway.
0: Yeah, like, you tased her. Did
1: y'all? No, he tased her. He tased her. She got her in the car. Oh. Okay. But it's like, what, you fucking walked in and shook her hands when they're in her handcuffs? Like, you didn't, like, meet her. This is not a fucking movie, meet cute.
0: (laughs) How do you know that? From the holiday. Oh, okay. Like... Legit, I was like, wait, how do you know that?
1: <laughs> the holiday. Nancy, like, pretended like she gave a shit and brought her, like, stuffed animals. And she was like, I'm so sorry you have to go through this. Blah, blah, blah.
0: But night, I'm going back to the house. Bye. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, I mean, you know, Nancy was manipulative, too. I mean, she's just as fucked up as Philip. I mean, you don't help him kidnap
0: someone and not be as fucked up and yeah. so like well she's like oh now I have a friend oh you know like mm-hmm. I'll come keep you company we can talk like no
1: it was almost like it was like a cyclical manic depressive type like emotional roller coaster that Nancy took JC on because yeah. she would go from like here's a teddy bear and some chocolate milk to i'm fucking jealous of you because you're sleeping with my husband and it's like no she's not she's being fucking raped by your husband because she's handcuffed to a bed
0: yes you know
1: it was just this manipulation where jc would be like okay she's an ally oh fuck no she's not oh she's an ally oh shit no she's not yeah and again you're fucking with an 11 year old yes right around this time philip had because he was on parole He had been popped for failing a drug test. And so he had to go to jail for a month. And so this was a bit of a mind fuck for JC too, because Nancy was like, you know, I feel really bad that you're here. Like you shouldn't have to be, you shouldn't have to be here. Like you should be let out kind of thing. Yada, yada, yada. Well, but when Philip was in jail, Nancy was her captor and didn't fucking let her go. So, yeah, you say all that, but she didn't let her go. And I think she even told J.C. that Philip, like, she didn't tell her that he was in jail. Like, told her that she, he was, like, on vacation or some shit. <laughs> okay. they And, you know, they just did shitty stuff, like, gave her a kitten, and then, like, he, she named him Tigger, too, because that was her favorite Winnie the Pooh character, just to show you how young this child is.
0: Gosh.
1: Not long after she got the cat, Philip said that he didn't like the cat because the cat peed on everything and just one day it disappeared. So he, yeah. he killed it. All right. So now we are just shy of three years of her being held. Fuck. And they start to trust her a little bit more. And so she's able to come out of her handcuffs a little bit, but they still keep her in that room bolted from the outside. On Easter Sunday of 1994 they gave her her first cooked meal wow they okay so she's 13 now and they told her we think you're pregnant Mm. and she was she was like four and a half months pregnant and one thing that i read said that through the tv she had learned like the link between sex and pregnancy but another thing that i read said that she didn't even understand like how she was pregnant. Wow. Because, I mean, again, she's 14, you know, but she's really like 11 yeah. in her life experience. And so, Gosh. how you know, and again, an 11-year-old in, you know, in 91, I mean, you didn't have dinner. I mean, unless she was fucking walking, watching Silk Stockings, what the fuck else? Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean, though? Oh, my God. I, I love that show. Mom would let same? me watch it every so often, <laughs> every so often, every so often, every so often, and I would be like... Oh, hi. The as intro as was as so yes. seductive so with sexy. the girl with the pantyhose and the high heel. Mm-hmm, Maybe that's why I like having sex in high heels. <laughs> <laughs> okay, anyway. <laughs> so, she's pregnant. And, of course, no one in that fucking house knows how to... No, they don't know nothing about birthing no babies. <laughs> so, the three of them, like a little fucking... Three amigos, Nancy, Philip, and JC, all watched and read stuff on how
0: to birth a baby. Oh, my God. I mean, shouldn't someone who is as holy as he is know how to do this? I mean, you'd think. Oh, God. So, she had her daughter August 18th of
1: 1994. So, remember, she's fucking 14. Had a baby... It's a girl and philip named her angel
0: which makes me want to fucking vomit well
1: me too but jc actually liked the name and so she was cool with it but it's like fuck him
0: but it's also she's fucking 14 Mm -hmm. so of course she's gonna like the name angel and of course now she has someone who she you know feels like is not gonna leave her oh absolutely so, she is her angel, but it's just him. Mm-hmm. If he didn't think he was so fucking holy yeah. and shit, like, it wouldn't be a problem. I mean, it would still be a problem, because fuck you. But, oh, God. This is the episode
1: where Donna grunts. While all that's happening, J.C.'s mom, Terry, who doesn't even know that she's got a fucking grandchild being born to her 14-year-old daughter, she is trying to raise all kinds of money to keep paying for flyers and private investigators. And so she's having like yard sales and all kinds of shit to try to raise money to keep this going. But I mean, we're hitting the three year mark, you know, as, Yeah. I mean, as terrible as it is, the family's not losing hope, but you know, it kind of falls out of the media and, you know, and, yeah. and, and people's minds.
0: Well, because unfortunately so many other bad things happen. Exactly. Exactly. When Angel was about 3 years old,
1: JC got pregnant with her second daughter. Mm. She was born November 13th, 1997. When Philip found out that JC was pregnant with the second child, he moved her into a different little shed. It was bigger. He built a bunk bed for her and Angel to share and had a little couch and, you know, I think it had a, a nicer TV. And well,
0: she She should be so happy about that. He's so loving.
1: I mean, well, (gasps) when she was taken to this new place, because he had built up the fence to where he had eight-foot fence around his house. Because that's not suspect at all. Right. Well, so when she was being taken to the new room, she was actually able to go outside without the cover, like, without the blanket over her And that was the first time she had seen daylight. Mm -hmm.
0: That's so sad. God, that's so sad.
1: Philip decided that it was better for the family if he and Nancy raised the two girls as their own and they called them mom and dad, and that JC pretended to be their sister. And (laughs) JC's like, fine. But because he was like, they're young enough, they won't know the difference. You know, they'll forget your mom kind of thing. And so she's like, "Fine, but I'm not calling her mom." And yeah. so they're like, "Cool, but you got to come up with a different name." And so she named herself Alyssa because she really liked Alyssa Milano from Who's the Boss.
0: Oh God! Like
1: again, just to show how young she gosh. is, you know? Yes. Yeah. At this point, she's seventeen, but she's lived in captivity for six years. Oh, like, what God. has she, you know? Yes. She did the best she could to try to teach the kids. You know, she would try to homeschool them, try to give them some semblance of routine and all of that. But, you know, they didn't get, they never got to go to the doctor. They, you know, if they were sick, Philip was the doctor.
0: Oh, you're usually the one who grunts.
1: <laughs> well, I grunted when I was looking this stuff up. <laughs>
0: right she did start to get,
1: it was, they started building more trust. And so she started to get to go outside more. She had a little garden, you know, she, she had a little more freedom, especially after both of the girls were born than before. And, And to the point where they actually left the house. Like he, so what he would do was he would take the, the little girls to the park and he would get Nancy to film the kids, like take video of, all these different kids at the park, but so that they didn't draw suspicion, mm-hmm. he would sit there and fucking play his guitar, and she would pretend like she's filming him. Meanwhile, she's got it shifted and zoomed in on these poor, innocent children. Right.
0: Oh, God. So fucking creepy. Mm-hmm. And so, okay. And of course he plays guitar. <laughs> Everyone who plays guitar went, what's that mean? Well, you know, like, I just, like he's... That's like the... How to be a cult leader. Yeah. Yeah. You know, like, yes. I feel like he's not even playing like guitar, like, not guitar hero. It's like the fucking mandolin kind of shit.
1: (laughs) Okay. So he started a, like, a print shop. He got, he rented himself a little computer, got him a printer, and he started a print shop, business cards, that kind of shit. And people loved him. He was cheap. He was. It was good. It was Mm -hmm. good quality, quick turnaround time. And like this one story I heard was of a guy that got some um, business cards made. And when he got them, he was like, oh, there's a like a misprint on it. And the very next day he had the replacements. And the guy made a joke of, what, you got slaves working for you? How'd you (laughs) do it that fast? Well, yeah, he did. Because Mm -hmm. it was actually JC doing all the designs and doing all the fucking work. So, yeah, he did have slaves.
0: Right. Oh, my God.
1: Well, they ended up, though, getting a computer with Internet. And so that's how J.C. found she had, like, worksheets and stuff that she would get for the kids that she would print out, you know, to give them, again, that routine. You know, they would do school from 10 a.m. to 2 p.m. every day. That Was was it AOL? I don't know. Okay. I want to back up a little bit. And tell you a little bit about fucking Philip. He's a piece of shit, as we know. He had an extensive criminal record and a, it always involved shit to women. But in 1976, he kidnapped a 25 year old by the name of Catherine Calloway. He kidnapped her from South Lake Tahoe and took her across state lines to Reno, Nevada. Well, once he got her over there, he took her to a warehouse. Raped her for five and a half hours.
0: Fuck.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, police noticed a car parked outside of, like, the little unit. And so they were like, mm. And so they, like, broke the lock to the warehouse and saw him. Well, Catherine Calloway walked out and was like, help me. You know, and so they arrested Philip. So he was charged in not only Nevada's state court's But also, federal courts because he crossed state lines with a kid, like while kidnapping Mm -hmm. somebody. He was convicted from the federal sentence for 50 years in 1977. Well, while he's in Leavenworth Penitentiary serving this motherfucking sentence, he meets Nancy. Nancy was there, like, at the prison to see her uncle. They got married at the prison. He was released from the federal custody into the state custody, but basically total, he only served like 11 years and he got out early. Like got out early Mm -hmm. from kidnapping and rape, but also crossing fucking state lines. Yeah. And so he had like the GPS ankle and all that shit. And you know he was like visited multiple times by his parole officer, but of course it eventually like tapered off. An interesting fact, though, about Philip is that when he was a teenager, he had a motorcycle accident, and that his dad said he was like radically changed after that. So I'm wondering if he had mm-hmm. some sort of head injury. Not that it excuses anything. Oh, for but sure. It's just an interesting,
0: yeah, fact. It's like if you had, like, a murder board, Mm -hmm. like, all pinpointed back to, like, this timeline. Yes. Of that. Ugh.
1: So, I tell you all of that because, one, he's a shitty human being. But, and two, I want to talk a little bit about some fucking missed opportunities, for lack of a better word. Well, here's the thing. Okay. The police didn't make the connection between Catherine's abduction and JC's. Now, some, you know, some things say, like, that's a missed opportunity. But Uh I don't really see that as one. The only, literally, the only thing they have in common is that they both were kidnapped from South Lake Tahoe. Yeah. Like, it's, she was 25, J.C.'s 11. Like, there were, you know. Yeah. So, some people call that a missed opportunity, but I don't, that's a stretch to me. Yeah. However, in 1992, this was, mm. Around About a year after J.C. went missing, a guy calls the sheriff's department and says, Hey, you know what? I was at a gas station, and I saw J.C., and she was in the gas station, and she was just looking at her missing poster, just staring at it, and he said, and I saw her leave, and she was in this big yellow van, probably, he was like, I think it's a Dodge, well, the guy who called never said who he was. By the time the police got to the gas station, everybody gone. And so they didn't they didn't know anything. They didn't really have anything to go on. However, this this story, although the like reported sighting was now we actually know that it was just like a couple of miles from Phillips' house, it's kind of sketch because she didn't really even go outside until the what, the first daughter was born? So, it's like, I'm not really sure about that. In June of 2002, the fire department was called to Philip's house because supposedly there was a kid there that had a shoulder injury from swimming, like a swimming pool accident. The thing is, though, is that Philip was on parole and there was no record of there being a kid that lived there. So, his parole officer should have been notified. Like, it was, you know, so who's the kid? Whatever, you know? Yeah. Okay. This is the kicker, though. Mm. In 2006. Yes. 2006.
0: Oh, my gosh.
1: One of Philip's neighbors called 911 and said that, look, I got this neighbor. He's got fucking tents all over his backyard. You know, he's got those, like, tarpaulins that are, yes. like, up covering the yard, these eight feet fence and there's kids living there and he is quote, psychotic with sexual addictions. And so,
0: I mean, she's not wrong.
1: Right. Well, so a deputy sheriff goes to Phillip's house and they just talk at the front door for fucking 30 minutes. Mm. And, All the deputy sheriff does is say, you know, if you got people living in those tents, that's a code violation. Like, you need to to handle that. So, had they just fucking walked in the damn backyard. Yeah. That's all they had to do. Actually investigate in the backyard and see they would have rescued J.C. and the the two girls.
0: Yeah. And it's like, that was what the complaint was. Mm Mm-hmm. You know, so it's not like Oh yeah. To not go back there or whatever, mm-hmm. like no. It's not like they
1: were like, Hey, he's got a vulgar sign on his front yard. Right. But they and you like he gets in and he's like, Oh, you got tents back there, there better not be anybody staying back there. Right. You know? No, they literally called to say there are people living in the tents.
0: <laughs> yes.
1: Okay. So here's the thing too. When he got popped for that fell in that drug test and he went back to jail for a month. That was the federal violation of his parole, not the state from Nevada. So Nevada should have been notified as well of the parole violation, and it should have sent him back to prison for the remainder of his sentence. Wow. Ish. I'm a little fuzzy on that. But he should have gone back to jail in Nevada for a little while, too. Maybe not the rest of his sentence, but for a little while. But I really do think, like, so... Had that breakdown not happened between the federal and the state parole, it could have ended there too, God. and that was months into her, yeah, abduction another time, and this is the last like near miss that is just like holy fuck, as part of his parole being checked in on and all of that, they had classified him needing low level supervision. On accident. And so they they weren't checking on him as much. There wasn't as, you know, he wasn't even registered as a sex offender. You know, it just, I mean, so many things fell through the cracks with this guy. Yeah. I mean, it truly was like the perfect fucking storm. Right. And so one time the one of the parole officers went, th- went to his house. And when they got there, there was a 12-year-old girl there. Because, again, they have Philip as this low-level, low-risk guy. They were like, who's this? And he was like, oh, that's my brother's daughter. And they were like, oh, cool. All right. Well, see you next time. (laughs) And didn't do any digging. And, yeah, he had a brother, but his brother didn't have any fucking kids. Yeah. And so it's like if they would have just done something, if anybody would have just done something and and not even – Above and beyond their job. Right. Just their fucking job. I mean, that's like a fucking surgeon being like, yeah, no, yeah, I see that in there, but I- I'm here to get this. So, yes. Sorry about that other tumor. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. that's not how this works.
0: There's a podcast about that. Doctor to fucking death.
1: Yeah. <laughs> okay. So, in August of 2009, old Philip. He just had to fucking try to be a cult leader. Mm. And so he went to the FBI office in San Francisco and gave them a four page essay all about his ideas on religion, sexuality, and saying that he had discovered a way basically to cure himself of his previous sexually deviant behaviors and that he could help curing other sexual predators and so later that day he also went to the police office for the University of California and he took along with him the two the two daughters and he said, "You know, I want to hold a special event on campus because I have this religious program called God's Desire and I want to do this speaking engagement, you know, to, you know, get get followers in this cult, you know, you know the drill." And so the person that he spoke with was like Like, he seemed very erratic. The girls were kind of sullen and submissive. And so she said, can you make an appointment for the next day? And she was like, he was like, sure, you know, gave his name, all the things. And she was like, ran a background check on him and found that he, you know, had been on or he was on federal parole for fucking kidnapping and so when he came the next day,
0: you know, he brought his guitar too.
1: For real. When he came the next day with the girls, you know, he's there for his meeting. And she notices like even the girls look like they hadn't been exposed to a lot of sunlight. You know, they just looked mm. gaunt, is what I'm the word I'm thinking yeah. of. And I don't even know if that's the right word for yes. that, but that's yeah. what's popping in my head. Well, she is actually a fucking badass. The officer who said come back, her name is Allie Jacobs. I'm sorry, I should have said her name. She's the one that ran the background check. She called his fucking parole officer. She did what she should have done. And she fucking called his parole officer and said, look, something's up.
0: Yeah. Well. They were like, what? He's low risk. What are you talking about? Mm-hmm. And he plays a mean guitar.
1: Mandolin. I'm just kidding. <laughs> so, ukulele. I don't fucking know. Anyway. But she she leaves it on a voicemail. His parole officer gets the voicemail. And they're like, Oh. Okay, so two of the agents go to this go to his house. They handcuffed him while they searched the house. They found Nancy. Hit, did you know his mom lived with him? His elder no. like his like oldest fuck mom.
0: Mm-hmm. I didn't know that. Mm-hmm.
1: And so, you know, they look around the house, that's what they find. So they drive him back to the parole office. And then when they're on their way, he says, "Yeah, those kids that were with me were daughters of a relative. And I, got, I had permission to take them to the university. Well, but just that month before, though, the parole officer had said, like, you're not supposed to be around minors. And when he went there, he went, like, 15 miles out of his allowed radius. Mm.
0: Fucking egotistical. Mm-hmm. Holier than thou. <laughs> mm-hmm.
1: They had him at the office asking him all this stuff. You know, they had... Just looked in his house, found his mom and his wife. And so they reviewed it with their supervisor, and they're like, okay, look, come back tomorrow at this time for, like, a follow-up office visit, basically. <laughs> and he was like, okay. <laughs> I mean. <sighs> well, listen to the balls on this motherfucker. He came to the parole office. He came with his wife, the two daughters, and JC. Mm-hmm. Who, of course, introduced herself as Alyssa because she is fucking brainwashed at this point. Yes.
0: She's been with him eighteen years. Yeah, I was gonna be like, more than her mm-hmm. time. She's her been house. longer,
1: been with him longer than she hasn't.
0: Yeah. Oh God. Yes.
1: Yes, y'all heard me right. 18 motherfucking years. That's how long she was with him. So the parole officer is like. I'm going to separate them. I'm, I'm, let's just see what's up.
0: Thank God someone has gut instinct. Mm-hmm. And listens to him.
1: Well, I mean, honestly, thank God he thought. He was so brazen to just be yes. like, yeah, no, this is cool. Well, when they're interviewing JC, she is like, my name is Alyssa. And she gets pissed when they challenge her. And she's like, why am I being interrogated? Like, he's a good guy. He's good with the kids. He, She did eventually tell him those are my kids, but she would like again would get very defensive when they yeah when they challenged who she was. She finally said that she had been she was from Minnesota and that she had fled a an abusive relationship but the parole officer called the police by the time the police got there, Philip actually admitted, okay, I kidnapped her, I raped her. And it was not until Philip confessed that JC was finally like, okay, my name's JC. Mm,
0: God, I can't even imagine saying Mm-mm. your name after that long.
1: You know, I'm going to read this quote from JC that she was being interviewed by Diane Sawyer on ABC News. And so she says the phrase implies, and she's talking about Stockholm Syndrome, implies that hostages cracked by terror and abuse become affectionate toward their captors. Well, it's really, it's degrading. You know, having my family believe that I was in love with this captor and wanted to stay with him. I mean, that is so far from the truth that it makes me want to throw up. I adapted to survive my circumstances.
0: Mm. At fucking 11 years old. Mm-hmm.
1: So they were arrested, of course, obvi. And in 2011, they finally pled guilty after a lot of back and forth and shit we don't care about because we hate them. Um, (laughs) Philip was sentenced to 431 years to life and Nancy got 36 years to life. So JC actually in 2010 got a $20 million settlement with the state of California because there were various lapses by the Corrections Department that contributed to Dugard's continued captivity, ongoing sexual assault, and mental and or physical abuse. How much? $20 Is approved by California State Assembly by a vote of 70 to 2, and by the California State Senate by a vote 30 to 1. And can I just say that I want to know who those goddamn three people are. Right? And I want them... I don't know what I want to happen to them, but
0: fuck them. Right? They were probably part of God's desire. Fuck them. Like, wow. Wow.
1: So, it was August 26, 2009, when J.C. was reunited with her mom. And it was more than 18 years, like I said, after she had been abducted. Her poor mom and stepdad ended up getting divorced because they just couldn't... You know, he was a suspect, which everybody was, you know, but yeah. also, you know, she kind of, there was some, he, she felt like maybe he could have done more to stop it, yeah. you know, all of that. But they stayed together for a good while, really, I mean, they never stopped searching. And I know that J.C.'s mom, Terry, was, in, was part of this initiative where they taught like 3,000 young kids how to escape if they are kidnapped. Like, they had, like, these practice trunks and stuff where they would show them how to, like, kick lights out, unplug stuff, you know, all these different things to escape. And they know for sure that they have saved three kids.
0: Whoa. So it's like, you know. Whoa. I
1: don't know what that percentage is, but worth it.
0: Yes. You know. Holy fuck. Mm -hmm. That's awesome.
1: I know. I do know that I can – Forgive me, I cannot remember what organization it was and how, why they were interviewing it. Or if they, I can't remember if maybe Philip did the business card, something. And they were, I think he did the business card or did the printing for it. I know, sorry, I suck with details. But it was about like how to not be kidnapped. And he told him, you really should add on there not to let your kids walk to the bus stop
0: alone. Oh, Fuck. Yep. Wow. And uh, fuck you. Like, Mm -hmm. it was in sight. Like, Mm -hmm. what the fuck? Ugh. Yep.
1: Yep. Well, and, you know, JC, but here's the bright side. He and Nancy are fucking rotting away in prison. JC and her kids are doing great. She's a huge advocate for victims. She and Elizabeth Smart have done a lot together. It said that her daughters are clever, articulate, curious girls who have a bright future ahead of them. Wow. JC did write a book. It's called A Stolen Life, and it's about, it's like a memoir about her time. So if y'all want more details of her time in captivity and all of that, yeah. she, you know, that's going to be a good read. Wow. Yeah. So heavy shit. Heavy. I just, the, the thought of just the amount of years. You know, know. like that other case we did that was like 22 years, you know, and 18. I mean, that is, she literally was in captivity for long, like of her life, longer than she wasn't. I know. And it's like, if you think about, you know, she tried to educate her kids and all that, do the best she can. But she only had a fifth grade education. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's like, she didn't get that settlement. Like, just, I don't know, just think of how hard... Her life is, you know, yeah. deprogramming from all of that, and then not only that, but then she's got to start from scratch. She's yeah. got to study and get her GED and do all this and learn all these things that she missed out on. Mm-hmm. It's 2009 when she meets her parents; like the fucking iPhones are out. You know what uh, I mean? Yeah. Ugh. And when she was kidnapped, you did we even have cordless phones yet? You know? Yeah. I mean, we did, right. but you know what I mean? Yeah. It's like. A lifetime has passed her by. Yeah. And she's got to play catch up. And that's so scary. As an aside from the scary things that she's already been through. Yeah. It's like a whole other layer that she's always going to have to deal with.
0: Thankfully, she's resilient. Mm -hmm. Oh, you can't survive
1: 18 years without being that way.
0: Mm -mm.
1: I saw one thing, too, that her kids were given birth certificates after they were found. And, of course, it says him as the father. And I just think, like, I don't know. How do you reconcile that as a child, like, as you get older that he is who your dad is and that's what he did to your mother, you know? Yeah. Crazy. Wow. Yeah. So I hope that your story is not as sad, but it was a happy ending. Yeah, yeah. Thankfully, she was able to get away and she is alive and thriving and so are her girls. Yes, and those motherfuckers are rotten in jail.
0: All right, y'all. This is not sad. <laughs> Thank God. Quizman was. Whew. I know. All right. Picture it. Spring of 1971, Hexham, England. We're going across the pond. The Robson family moved to this duplex on Number Three Reed Avenue. So, two weeks into their move. They're doing, you know, like, still the clean up, make it their own, all of that. Well, their 11-year-old son, Colin, he was in the backyard digging up some weeds and doing, like, some gardening things. You know, like, oh, my God, just get out of here. Go, like, fucking pull weeds. You know, like, Mm -hmm. probably at that point. So he's pulling them up, and he comes across something very strange. It's a small, round stone. I thought you were going to say a divic box that would be amazing if I had a different Dybbuk box. Mm-hmm. Oh, my God. But no. We haven't seen that Dybbuk douche has bought it yet, so it doesn't exist. Yeah. The limit doesn't exist. <laughs> so he knew, like, okay, this looks different. It's bigger. It's heavier than all of these other stone. You know, like, all of mm-hmm. the shit in this little garden thing, this is different.
1: Like on Shawshank Redemption,
0: <laughs> it's the stone
1: that doesn't belong. To yes. He's got to look under. <laughs>
0: yeah. <laughs> Every time. We haven't done it in a while, I feel like. Mm-hmm. That was a good one. Thanks. So he has it and he's like, something is different. Well, he turns it over to inspect it. And that's when he sees that it has a human face etched in it. The fuck? Yeah. So Colin calls his brother Leslie. He's like, oh my God, come see. I got to show you what I just found. Mm-hmm. So, of course, they continue digging. And soon after, Leslie, he finds a second headstone. Yeah, I see what you did there. (laughs) So they have them in their hands, and they're like, what the fuck? You know, I mean, Mm -hmm. whatever. They're like, whoa, I don't know what 11-year-old boys do. Probably say, what the fuck? (laughs) What year was this, do we know? Uh, 71. They probably said... By George... I, oh, God, that was a terrible accent. I <laughs> probably said, Bloody fucking hell, what is this? <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> the stones are made of, like, a sandstone-like material. Clearly man-made, but also not perfect and it looks like eroded and like
1: it's been there a while kind of thing yeah
0: and also like organic you know so I mean it looks man-made as someone carved this or whatever like it's Mm -hmm. not just like oh it's made in the earth (laughs) like oh they made whatever but you know what I mean like so it's like crude and not perfect and I don't know you know what I mean
1: yeah it's like The material itself is organic, but
0: somebody clearly carved a head in it. Yeah. They are, like, slightly bigger than a tennis ball. So they're, I mean... Decent size. Yeah. They're handfuls, for sure. You talking about my boobs? Mm, Those are more than handfuls. (laughs) And they had a weight to them. So they were pretty heavy, but not like, holy fuck, can't pick this up. Mm -hmm. It was like a... I feel like a can of, like, soup, like, or a big can of beans. Imagine that food analogy. (laughs) But, you know, like, has weight to it. And so both stones had faces in them, but they they were different. But both very sinister looking. The first one, the one that Colin found, it's known as the boy. And he had, like, hair etched into it. With, like, an open face, wide set eyes, and, like, a long nose. The other one, they say, it has a more severe look. And so they say it's a long, strong beak nose with wide, bulging eyes. Oh, God. And it's known as the girl or the witch. Those motherfuckers. Of course. mm
1: mm-hmm. Just like fucking red cardinals. The girl one's the ugly one.
0: Uh-huh. And peacocks. Fucking universe. Same. Like, why? You know what? Because they always try to take our color from us. (laughs) Motherfucker, (laughs) let me shine. Let me show you my (laughs) rainbow. So, of course, the boys take them back into the house. They put them up on, like, a mantle, a ledge. They're proud of them and curious and just being young boys who just fucking found buried treasure. Yeah. They went to sleep that night. All was quiet, safe, sound. But little did they know, when they woke up the next morning, it would be the start of strange events of unexplained phenomena. Phenomena.
1: Dun-dun-dun.
0: So, that morning, they get up. The heads are still on that ledge, but they're turned around facing the garden where they were dug up. And they're like, "Mm, "Why? like how? The, The parents wouldn't have even really... Paid attention, Like, they had just put them up there because they were going to, like, you know, play with them, show them every, you know, like, mm-hmm. do the thing. But, like, they were, you know, facing a different way, and then they're both turned facing where they were found. Those damn stones were longing to go back to their... I know. Dirt. I know. Poor stones. Then certain objects around the house started to break without any reason... One time, the youngest daughter, in her bed, just unexplained, a whole lot of fucking glass was just, like, shards of glass were all in her bed. (gasps) So, they were like, don't stay in that room. Like, you know, just, Mm -hmm. I don't know. Because, again, they're thinking, like, maybe, like, something weird happened. You know, like, who knows? Because, why would you be like, those two stones, Mm -hmm. you know? I mean, I would, but... I'm paranoid. <laughs> Their oldest daughter, Wendy, she had been away in Scotland on her honeymoon. Very she hmm But she returned, and it's like the height of the strange shit happening. And so she thinks, like, they're playing a fucking game. And, you know, she's mm-hmm. like, they're just being little shitheads. So I'm going to put an end to this. And so she hid the heads under the top end of her bed, like under the headboard, basically. Well, the following morning, they had moved to the other side of her bed. Mm -mm. And like no one knew that she took the heads at all. Right. They heard doors opening, slamming shut, but there would be no doors opening or closing. You know, objects being moved. Lots of poltergeist activity around the house. Well, a few nights later, the Robsons were asleep, and they heard screams coming from next door, because remember, it's a duplex. Mm-hmm. That property was rented by the Dodd family, and that night, the mother, Nellie Dodd, she was staying in her children's bedroom because her daughter, Marie, had an ear infection. And so, you know, just, yeah, you need your mom and all of that. So, she finally gets Marie down... And she's like, all right, I'll sleep in here, you know, like, make sure you don't need me, you know. So she finally lays down, closes her eyes, and she is woken up by her 10-year-old son, Trevor. And he's like, Mommy, something touched me. Mm-mm. And what happened is that he woke up because he felt someone pressing on his legs Mm-mm. as he was sleeping. Mm-mm. So Nellie calmed her son down, put him back to bed, and, you know, I'm here, nothing's going to happen, blah, blah, blah. Well, later on, Marie, she got woke up by a noise. So she woke up her mom, who was sleeping with her. She sits straight up in bed, and in front of them is this tall creature, Mm -mm. and it has the torso of a man, but a head of a sheep. The fuck? Mm-hmm. Okay. So they both scream in terror, but the creature was like not unnerved, you know, just it did not phase him. But eventually he just exited out of the room and disappeared down the stairs. <laughs> I, just,
1: <laughs> I just pictured this like goat man just turning around and just like (laughs) do
0: do do like back
1: down the stairs like i don't know like that is dumb
0: his whole like
1: yes oh my god (laughs) that's the dumb that's the dumb so am i I, okay
0: well Nellie was so traumatized by this and so were her kids that she applied to the council to be moved to be relocated and they were granted that so they moved out of that duplex Well, meanwhile, at the Robson's house, shit was still going on. And now there was this mysterious light that was glowing that only would appear at night at the end of the garden where those heads were found. Hmm. And then a little bit later, there was a weird flower that grew up from that exact same spot. And all I can picture is the flower from Tangled... Mm-hmm. You know that because with the glowing light and everything. Yeah. Oh my gosh! After a few months of this, the Robsons were like, "Okay, something's going on with these stones." So they donated them to the Newcastle Museum, and after the stones were out of their house, everything was fine, and the Robsons just lived happily ever after, and that's the end of their story. I wonder why they wouldn't just put them back in the garden and see what happened.
1: I don't know. Put them back from whence they came. Am I not saying? Yeah.
0: Well, if they did that we wouldn't have this story. There's more? <laughs> <laughs> well, the museum like staff, they were like these are fucking strange, but they look old as fuck. I think I know someone who could tell us what's going on with them. And so they gave them to a Celtic scholar and an archaeologist, Dr. Ann Ross. And so she's, you know, she's going to examine them and see if it is actually Celtic or, you know, to have some type of, like, this is what this is. Mm-hmm. She had given an interview to a paranormal researcher later on. Peter Underwood was the researcher. She said as soon as she saw the heads, she felt a strong, instinctive aversion to them. Oh, shit. But she is a scientist and... Getting paid. (laughs) True. The student loans don't pay themselves. That's for damn sure. (laughs) (laughs) So, she took them home, further inspection, and of course, very disturbing things happened. Mm -mm. She would hear crashes of, you know oh my God, something fell in this room. She'd go, nothing. Everything is exactly in place. And that was driving her fucking bonkers. You know, I mean, mm-hmm. oh my God. Earlier today, me and Carrie, like, paused the TV, paused the fan, like, trying to figure out a sound. Doors would open and slam shut by themselves. Sound fucking familiar? Mm-hmm. Well, early one morning, Dr. Ross... She woke up because she was freezing cold in her room. When she opened her eyes, she saw a figure standing in her room. It was a very large, dark creature, and it appeared to be half wolf, half human. Oh, not a goat this time? Mm Mm-mm. Well, it was a sheep. And they also said, like, it could have been a ram. So,
1: uh, aren't those all three the same animal? I don't really know the difference between a sheep. I
0: mean, I I know, I'm just (laughs) kidding.
1: But they're basically the same.
0: (laughs) Well, so she's like, holy fuck, you know, speechless. Probably not. She's probably Carrie going like, this is not real. She saw the bean creep out of the room and she felt this irresistible urge to follow it. So she slipped out of her bed and came on to the landing of the stairs and she saw the figure moving down the staircase and then it vaulted over the banister. Damn. Landing with a loud thud. So it's not just an apparition mm-hmm. or anything like that. And then it scurried out of sight. So she yells to her husband and, like, come fucking help me find this creature. Mm hmm. They search high and low. Cannot find it to and fro. no. <laughs> but they cannot find the creature at all. There's no sign of forced entry or exit. And so it's just kind of like, okay. Okay. Well, a few days later, they go on a day trip to London. And they leave behind their 15-year-old daughter to look after their younger son. When they arrived back, they found her basically hysterical and in shock, freaking the fuck out. Because when she returned home from school about an hour earlier, she entered the house and then she saw that same half-man, half-wolf creature and it was crouched halfway up the stairs. Well, when she shut the door... It jumped over the banister again, trotted on all fours into the back room of the house. And so she was overcome with that same fascination, that same instinct to follow it. it That she could not resist. So being compelled, she goes to look for it everywhere. But it's completely vanished. And then once she realized it was gone, it's like it's hold over her vanished as well and then the shock and the fear just kept increasing increasing until she was so frantic and then her parents found her dang i feel like that's the beginning of
1: like narnia you know like (laughs) this creature comes and you're like oh where's he going (laughs) (laughs) follow him into a fucking closet and another world
0: soon after the other two children saw the same creature and they called it more of a werewolf So I don't know what happened, but it finally linked up and Dr. Ross is like, okay, wait, I think it's these heads that's causing all of this strange shit to go on. Mm -hmm. So she returned them to the museum like, okay, I've finished what I can do and here they are. In her report, she calculated that the heads were around 1,800 years old. Damn. And that they were an example of the Celtic cult of the severed head. Oh, shit. So there's this art scholar that is, like, his focus is Greek and Celtic art. His name is Paul Jacobstall. And he described that the heads to the Celtic peeps was, quote, venerated above all else Since the head to the Celt was the soul, a symbol of divinity and the powers of the other world. So after battle, the Celtic tribes were infamous for decapitating their enemies and placing their heads on spikes to be displayed, you know, as Mm. a like, "Mm mm-hmm. And sometimes they even nailed the heads to their doors. Oh my God. I'm like, what the Uh -uh. fucking Ed Kemper is going on?
1: Yeah, that's not, oh, I don't like that. You know that shit stinks, too.
0: Oh, my God. Hanging up on their fucking door. Oh, fuck. I forgot to say that when Dr. Ross returned the heads to the museum, Mm -hmm. everything stopped. And she said that it was as if a cloud had been lifted. Just like the Robsons. Right. So the next person to have their hands on these heads was G.V. Robbins. And he was an inorganic chemist from the Institute of Archaeology. This was in 1977. He wrote a book called The Secret Language of Stone. He proposed that minerals are able to store information in the form of electrical energy. And so he said these heads, which were known as the hexam heads, contained like high proportion of quartz crystals And so it was kind of acting like a paranormal tape recorder where it was replaying all of these energies from the past. Hmm. So with that creature or whatever, that could have been from the past. And so it wasn't like, it didn't have to be like a human hybrid. It could have been like a warrior who, you know, like when they would wear, Mm -hmm. you know, like, the heads of animals or whatever, like, on that, but what they're seeing. Right. He said that these stones were kind of like Stonehenge and stuff that just had an unusual magnetic energy. And so, like, when people would come to them, like, come near them, depending on their energy inside and everything, like, they would react differently to them. Okay. Dr. Robbins, he said that he felt a stifling, breathless atmosphere when he was in the presence of the Stoneheads. And when he put the heads in his car to bring them home the first day, his car's electrical system just suddenly stopped and his car like would not turn back on. Oh, my God. And so, I have to say this. Around this same time, there was this guy named Desmond. Craigie I think and he stepped forward and was like I've been seeing this like come up because I mean there were articles about these weird things and like because these are people of science Mm -hmm. and you know stuff saying shit's happening weird you know all Mm -hmm. of this but he said that he like has, has seen these articles and Laughing his head off because in 1956, he had carved the stones as a toy for his daughter. And eventually, they had lost them in the garden. And he did live at that place before. Yeah. However, it cannot be proved or disproved. But they said, like, these were primitive-looking stones. And so much, like, it wasn't just something that... They had a cast that made these stones and all of that. And so they were like, okay, well, like, show us how you did it. Like, make some more and, Mm -hmm. like, I mean, prove it. But when he did it, it wasn't the same. Like, you could definitely tell, like, they were made by him. Mm -hmm. Not aged and, like, not as primitive. Not, like, it was more precise and, you well, know.
1: they had also sat in a garden for 20 years. True, true. And the elements and all that. I mean, it's But gonna- also,
0: why would you, like, that's a weird thing to make for your daughter, like a young, young kid, like. You never know what she was into. I mean, true, true. But even they said, like, the stuff it was made out of, like, you couldn't replicate that, mm-hmm. how, like, he was doing it. You know what I mean? Like it, he could not get it to match up at all. Hmm. So in 1978, Doctor Robbins, the one who was saying about the magnetic stuff, he gave the stones to a dowser named Frank Hyde, and he wanted to do some experiments with them to see about the magnetic pull and you know like what it's going to do because. They did, like, put a dowsing rod over one of each of them. Mm -hmm. And, like, one, it would, like, turn a certain way. The other one, it wouldn't. So, it was kind of like they were oppositely charged and everything, too. So, it was just kind of weird. Like, again, if it was something that you made, it wouldn't be so different, I feel like. Maybe.
1: But I also am a skeptic. And Mm -hmm. I'm like, well, I don't know about all that.
0: True. Well, but, so he was going to do those experiments. However, the heads have never been seen again, and so their current whereabouts are unknown. hmm Of course they are. And actually, no one else has ever heard of Frank Hyde again. Like, he vanished. What? hmm
1: So he had the stones. He going to do some research on them, and then they all just disappeared. Yep. Sketch.
0: They have not seen hide nor hair from him. He up and vanished like a fart in the wind.
1: <laughs>
0: and that is the story of the Hexam heads. Fake.
1: <laughs> I mean, look, I've been with you the past few weeks. Really, a long time. The yeah. last few, like, lots of episodes. This
0: one, fake. <laughs> so, if I found something that looked like it, I can put it in your house? I mean, yeah. Whatever and then I'd throw it back out. Uh-huh.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, okay. So if energy can never be created nor destroyed, okay. Then it stands to reason that potentially the electromagnetic shit is in the rock. Mm-hmm. And it's whatever. You know what I mean? And, and so mm-hmm. it's like that person's energy and I know that's like a different type of energy yeah. than you know, but like so depending on who it's with their energy combines with that energy and creates different experiences.
0: Well, I also, yes, I think that's very true because all of these people had teenagers. See, and that's why you don't
1: have kids. Mm-hmm. No, I'm
0: just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> because, I mean, sort of. you know, I mean, they always say, like, poltergeist activity mm-hmm. is with, like, that emotional turmoil mm-hmm. and hello, teenagers. So if that is it, like, the energy with those... With everything else, you know what I mean? Like, it could have been... Well, and it manifested differently,
1: too. Like, if it was... If it's real, it manifested, what is a goat? You no, know, a sheep. And then a werewolf. And then uh, something else. You know, and so with each person... Yeah. It could have manifested in how their energy perceived it.
0: Yeah. You know,
1: I mean, I don't think it's real, but...
0: <laughs> if it could... It could be. <laughs> well, we want to know what you think. Mm-hmm. And we also want to know, have you ever met a cult leader that did not play the guitar? (laughs) Because I don't think it exists. (laughs) Oh my God, that's funny. Yeah, I don't even want to go back to my story. I don't even want to revisit it. I know. It's so, it's, it's, yeah, it's a lot. Mm -hmm. So how about like, not what we learned, but like, we want to know what y'all think.
1: Yeah. Y'all let us know what you think about the rocks and all the things. Rocks. Rocks do you get
0: your rocks off? That's what we really want to know. We're going to knock your socks off. <laughs> this bitch over here, always wearing socks. My feet get cold. Oh, God. It makes me so hot. <laughs> like, <laughs> thinking about it right now, I'm like, oh, God. I can't breathe. Okay, so do you believe that the Hexam heads are real? hmm Do cult leaders always play guitar? hmm And do you wear
1: socks to bed?
0: Yes. And sex. I mean. I'm going to say these two people right here, me and Carrie, I'm not going to point out who does do that, but I don't wear socks. (laughs) (laughs) At all. (laughs) And I do. Always. (laughs) With her Crocs. (laughs) Look, look.
1: I have been wearing Crocs to work this week. I'm going to be honest, because my foot is so fucking swollen that I can't wear my tennis shoes yet, and I'm trying to wean out of the stupid fucking boot, <laughs> so it's Crocs or nothing.
0: Well, it's not like she had to buy the Crocs, people. No, I know, and it's kind. so
1: funny. Everybody, when they're talking, I'm like, yeah, they're like, oh, you don't have your boot on. I was like, yeah, but I have the ugliest shoes on demand, and they're like, it's it's split 50-50. Some people are like, oh, yeah, I hate Crocs, and some people are like, I love Crocs. Oh, God. Crocs are coming back in, though, with the... Um, with the kids. I know. They're wearing white ones with colored socks, but they're starting to get into all the colors. and get Crocs are back. I would like to keep them as my house shoes, but right now when my foot is the size of my head, <laughs> I got
0: to wear them. Well, your head's the size of these hexam heads, okay? Shrunken. Damn. <laughs> She's throwing all
1: kind of fucking shade today.
0: <laughs> it's just because she has a small head compared to my large ass head ass as head
1: <laughs> she's
0: got a watermelon i got a cantaloupe <laughs> you got a lemon and i got two watermelons <laughs> combined it was like uh they... it was a two for one <laughs> <laughs> i love a good deal
1: <laughs> on that note remember
0: creep it real and, and don't, don't
1: get scared, scared.